Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Thirsty Thursday live stream from 7 until 9 weekly. Here's your host, Tim Hill. So just going to put a quick break in here uh, just to say what we've got coming up in uh, in the next few weeks. Working on various little projects at the moment. And uh, so hopefully next week, I'm just waiting for confirmation of these guys, but it's going to involve animals and PTSD. Um, if, it, if it doesn't quite come off, if, if, if they can't pull it together, then we'll delay it slightly. Um, but that'll have an impact on the following week. But we may, we may go with a PTSD special anyway, and we're going to look at some other stuff as we go forward. Um, the 27th, got another little project I'm working on to bring to you guys. Um, 3rd of November is going to be the fighter pilots. And in case you haven't noticed, we do a, a, a quiz on a Tuesday, which involves a quiz, some fun factors, and somebody's phone's going off. <laughs> and we will do a quick channel review as well. So if you want to join us for an hour on, on a Tuesday evening from 9 o'clock till 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll do a bit of a quiz, some fun facts, and uh, uh, enlighten you on uh, uh, somebody's channel. So back to our guests. If you've got any questions at all, pop them in the chat box, stick a cue beside it, and um, and we'll get around to answering your questions. So... Before I rudely interrupted you. That's right. <laughs> no, no I was just I was just plugging, yeah, Marine again, because that's all I do. Um, so Rachel was mentioning <laughs> uh, the work we do with veterans on land. So we also had a really great project a few years ago called Exercise Tiger, where veterans got to join some of our dive team on um, a wreck off of Lundy called HMS Montague. Um, it's a dreadnought wreck. Uh, and yeah, they had an amazing time and they were absolutely incredible. I mean, to watch, you know, someone, someone as a veteran with no limbs being able to dive of equal or better capacity than any of the others on board was just absolutely amazing and they had a great time the seals were out in force the the sun was shining and yeah everyone had an amazing time and again mental health comes back to it they said they had an amazing few days with us and everyone was yeah just really happy it was a really nice environment to be in fantastic so here's a question for you um have a think about this one what has been your most exciting project that you've worked on? There you go. There's a question. What's been your most exciting project that you've worked on in your career? Who wants to go with that one? Ed? I'm the only one that digs anything oh. up. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I used to dig things up and then um i thought better of it i thought <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I, i'd like i'd like to still have some knees <laughs> it's not not that bad um the best project I worked on so oh i so i had i worked on quite a lot of um non-commercial projects before i worked for wessex so i did a phd at durham and looked at some really nice sites in spain um 
they were really great. But since yeah, since joining over to Wessex, I have sort of worked on some really really lovely sites. And I think one of the quite nice things about Wessex is such variation in what we look at. Sometimes it it can be really quite eclectic. Um, I think one of the best um, best ones though I've worked on sort of relatively recently is a very large quarry site that uh, we did um, in Datchet, um, just north of London. It was a really sort of nice story of how that land had been inhabited since the Mesolithic, so about 8,000 years ago, all the way up to almost the present day. You know, we had a bit of everything on that site and it's quite unusual that we get so much um, of everything. So we had little traces of the earliest farming communities there, really nice, so we could find some of the cereals. We were able to radiocarbon date them and confirm, you know, that they, they hadn't snuck into the soil, you know, a worm hadn't moved them down. They were definitely contemporary. Um, then we could see sort of a little, little quiet, little quiet spot in the record until the Bronze Age when this sort of this enormous agricultural landscape just emerges. And then that, that flourishes into a proper, you know, Iron Age farmed agricultural landscape, a little bit like sort of a house on the prairie, sort of, you know, some people sitting in their roundhouses with their dogs, looking out over their lovely golden fields of barley, surrounded by trees. Um, and then, then the Romans came along and sort of smashed everything through with very different ways of doing things um, and sort of a much more commercialized sort of focus on their production. Um, and then sort of, little, and then very big change again in the early medieval period with a real distinct shift in what we were doing. So sort of a very momentous shift. And um, it's a quite a classic question, I think, for archeologists to get asked sort of what the best things we found are um, I don't like to say a piece an artifact because that's not what I do. I have found some very sexy seeds. Uh, other people not, might not find them sexy. Um, maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe I need to go out more. Um, but you know, sometimes you know, a piece of wood it can, it can just be amazing when you look under the microscope. <laughs> Fantastic. You mentioned Spain. Mm -hmm. Were you looking at some of the Peninsula War um, sites down there? No, so I. So I was looking at the uh, impact of the Islamic conquests on diets. There. So um, from about the 8th century till the 15th century, various different parts of Spain were part of the Islamic world. So when the Moors um, came charging up and having a rap, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was looking at sort of very much the, the interplay between Christianity and Islam, because it's right, right sort of on the frontier of that um, mm. Islamic world and they brought through very many, a lot of new crops um, into Spain, and it's very much something that's in and Portugal. I should add, it's very much something in their lasting legacy of there today. When you look at the landscapes, lots of the terminology we have for fields and irrigation channels actually come from the Arabic. Um, sugar is one of the crops introduced, and our word sugar actually comes from the Arabic as well. So that's what I was looking at. Um, that was very much of a um, divergence from what I was really doing. Before that, I was looking at stuff from the prehistoric record in Wales. Um, then thought I'd go work in Spain for a couple of years and then settled back down and did some archaeology in the UK again. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So 
I don't want to come next because I, I can't possibly follow <laughs> that. <laughs> Boy, I, I, you've I not looked at sexy seeds? Uh, no, no, definitely not. Um, <laughs> I spent about 10 minutes in a trench once and hastily removed myself. It was full of mud. And I much prefer talking about archaeology and uh, sapping the knowledge and enthusiasm from my colleagues than I would go out and do it myself. Terrific. So you've got any interesting places you're going, um, taking the, your pop-up in the near future that people can get involved with? We're everywhere, yes. <laughs> Alice <laughs> Uber, the Platts. We're in a, so, yeah, so we're in London this weekend at New Scientist Live. It's open to the public Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, just Google New Scientist Live uh, and we're here. And then next weekend we're in various places at the same time mm-hmm. because Lowe is in Liverpool and we're also down in Worthing. So whether you're in the north or the south, there's no excuse. Come and see us. Please come see us, yeah. Yeah, Liverpool Maritime Museum and Worthing Town Museum. Brilliant. So same question then. What was the the, the, the best site you've worked on? What's been the, the one that really, really enjoyed? What's the best finds you've had? So for me, I'm going to pinch someone else's site because I haven't dug there, but I've taught a lot there since. So we had a site um, on Salisbury Plain. Um, the army are bringing lots of our forces back from abroad and they needed to rehouse them. So there's been lots of military homes built around Salisbury Plain. And one of the sites was uh, on a place called Lark Hill, which is mm. uh, very much on just on the edge of the World Heritage Site. And I think, Rachel, you're at Lark Hill, weren't you? Yes, I did did a bit of time at Lark Hill. I think as did anyone who was around the office at the time. But what a fantastic what a fantastic site to work on. Um literally everything from Neolithic Causewade enclosure through to First World War practice trenches with the names of the soldiers um written on the chalk. Uh phenomenal site. And that was yeah, it, it wasn't going to be on my list of ones to talk about. But Sorry. yeah, re- no, no, a really phenomenal site. Well, well done for bringing it up. But yeah, literally someone drew the road and put Stonehenge World Heritage Site one side of it and made the road the other side. Um, but yeah, phenomenal archaeology there. Really, and a really incredible and interesting and diverse site to get mm. such a span of, of time across, um, you know, to, to literally have stuff from 100 years ago right through to stuff from thousands of years ago on the same on the same field. You could stand in a First World War practice trench and look up at the Causeway enclosure and vice versa. And happily for my team, one of the things that was built on that site to cater for families was a new school. And so the school have been very, very enthusiastic about the archaeology of the area. And uh, a lot of their teaching is based on the archaeology of the site. We did some really nice uh, things with the school. So our studio team at Wessex, we have a whole team of artists and 3D modelers and 3D designers. And they made us some lovely reconstructions of parts of the site and parts of the archaeology, which are etched into the windows of the school. So the kids can stand in their classrooms, look through the archaeology that's etched into their windows out at the site. And some of them actually live on and in where the archaeology was, which is um, quite profound. And one of the lovely things I find about that site is just under where the school playground is. There was a triple burial, which mm-hmm. Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong, was Bronze Age. Yeah, Bronze Age. Yeah. Of, and it was of three children buried. Yeah. Um, so to have that sort of kind of synergy between you know a children's school now and then children living on that site back in the bronze age i think it's really lovely 
Yeah. Terrific. So, I mean, I noticed that there's a, a quite a bit going on around Stonehenge. They, they put the sort of new road around it and, or under it, stuff like that. You Maybe. guys involved with that? Maybe. Um, <laughs> not sure how much we can... Um, we're waiting on redetermination yeah. because of, with the recent political turmoil, it's put kind of uh, a further weight on things. So the process is, is that there'll be a, a redetermination, which is a decision by the government. And then the government will issue something called a DCO, which is our permission to, or it'll be National Highways' permission to crack on. And then they will come back to us and we will take care of all the archaeology that's in the area. Although it, it's an interesting uh, proposition because the entire scheme is designed to minimise impact on mm -hmm. archaeology um, and we Wessex have been working across that area for 40 odd years so yeah. we know the archaeology so that's our role to look after it and uh, help hopefully it will help us understand that area a bit more yeah preservation in situ as much as possible with that one and very very high quality preservation by record where where it can't be avoided but the majority of it is going is is the majority of the scheme. If it goes ahead, is about minimising impact. Um, they thought they'd achieve that when it when they when they first applied for a development consent order. I, it is very controversial. Um, mm. But if it, if it goes ahead, there'll be some there'll still be some fantastic archaeology and a chance to add to what we already know about Stonehenge landscape. Um, mm. But it, the whole scheme is designed to minimise the impact particularly in the World Heritage Site, but also around it. And as you know, Sam was just talking about Lark Hill, if the road had been drawn 100 metres to the north, mm. Lark Hill would have been within the World Heritage Site. But they, they literally took the line because the army camp was to the north and went, that is, the, the, there, are, there are modern constructs of World Heritage Sites. Um, and I, I think it's a really interesting proposition. You know, if, we, if we were to redraw that heritage now with the archaeological knowledge we have of Lark Hill, would those boundaries still be the same? Um, because if you look at the World Heritage Site map of the Stonehenge half of the World Heritage Site, and um, because it is two halves of one bigger site, it literally follows the road, as Rachel says. So, you know, if we redo those lines now, personally, I'm not that taken with Stonehenge, and I think Lark Hill is much more exciting. <laughs> Avery, Avery's where it's really Avery, at. Avery's where it's at, and, uh, and Lark Hill. Stonehenge is just rocks in it. <laughs> yeah, just a pile of old stones, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Half of them have fallen down anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Any idea what Stonehenge was actually used for? Are they come up with a, a sound theory of what it was? Was it a temple? Was it a some sort of building, or is it? A... In terms of its lifespan as a monument, it spent more time distracting archaeologists from doing actual work than it has actually been anything else. <laughs> yeah. so... <laughs> if, you, if you want to define something's use by what it's most commonly done, it, it's it's just a point of discussion and a, a theoretical hypothesis, isn't it? Hmm. But it does bring in some tourists yeah. into the area. I, th I think a, a, a sort of a celestial calendar is the most commonly widely accepted um, theory at the moment, but you will get everything from alien landing pad through to... <laughs> druids <laughs> druids and all the, yeah um you know and as long as there is some backup to your theory as long as you can you can support your hypothesis it's valid um mm. it's before 1066 there's no point asking me 
<laughs> there is a an it's not often we get to name drop, but uh, when Megan Fox came to West Side, oh, yes, Megan Sorry. Fox from Transformers. Uh, when uh, when Megan Fox arrived at West Side, surrounded by many security guards, uh, or as the American uh, documentary makers termed it, our secret HQ in deepest darkest Wiltshire, um, we took her in a helicopter with one of our archaeologists over Stonehenge, and she had some interesting ideas. Um, but that is available on YouTube, so I, I strongly recommend everyone Google's Megan Fox Stonehenge, <laughs> and uh, you get a bit of a behind-the-scenes tour of our HQ as well. Or you Fantastic. can see me on Digging for Britain, which is a more interesting behind-the-scenes view. Uh-huh. Just saying. So, Just saying. Who, who, who's worked with Tony Robinson then? For my and the time. time team. We're too young, Tim. <laughs> yeah, we're all too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> So what's been the the least exciting uh, dig that you've been on? Which one is that that you've that's been totally fruitless? That total waste of time. I think to bring us crashing back to reality from a kind of a theoretical perspective, because we're so we're such a part of the planning process, we only get involved if there is sort of some expectation that there might be archaeology. As far as I'm aware, it'd be very. We don't simply just kind of walk around fields hoping to find things. No. Um, a, a lot of it depends on the county archaeologists and what they instruct us to do. But and, there, I know we've had. There are a lot of negative evals and negative watching briefs. But equally, we, in those instances, we have gone out and demonstrated that there is limited archaeological potential and uh that our clients are not going to be destroying the archaeology unnecessarily. So mm. they might be boring when you're standing there for weeks on site watching an excavator digging and finding absolutely nothing. I've been there and done that, got the T-shirt many a time. But, <laughs> but you know, you're equally, you are, you are proving that the, that the client is not destroying the archaeology willy-nilly and that they are taking the, their conditions seriously. And that there is, for whatever reason, there is no archaeology. So my site in London, we had a Victorian Railway Works. And across it, coming across that, we are slowly over the years, we've been up going up there intermittently for six years now. But on the where the railway works were, we are we are clearly show, demonstrating that the railway works um, destroyed what archaeology may have been there. We haven't found anything in six years. We found some nice peat that we sent back for Ed. Um, there's, there's a massive, it's a sub-channel of the Thames and a big paleo channel. But, you know, it's it, they're not pointless. They're, they are there proving a point and they are there to, to demonstrate that there is limited or no archaeology within those areas and that the client is not destroying it. So as dull as they can be from a you know, not turning up and getting to dig and find shiny things. They're, they're still there for a purpose, those sorts of sites. Hmm. I'd say, yeah, and in some areas, we've actually done so much archaeology now that we can find genuine blank spaces yeah. in the landscape. So, say, around Heathrow, when the new uh, new terminal was built there, we can find sort of patterns of common land that have literally remained common land for thousands of years, yeah. which is quite nice that we can actually not just map where the archaeology is, but where it, where isn't. it isn't. And that is actually almost mm. just as relevant in yeah. some of these uses of common land and mm. where they came from. And I guess that's important if you're looking at building somewhere, 
because it reduces the costs of uh, of it's 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 not been used before. Yeah. But then, then, then it's Greenfield, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. Double-edged sword for that one. So you don't really want to be building on Greenfield sites. You want to be building on Brownfield sites. Oh, that they is... can have interesting archaeology as well, though, oh. Tim. Mm. They can have very interesting archaeology. I did a Brownfield site in central Birmingham, which had been a German silver factory that was built in 1895 and was demolished in the 1970s. Um, once we got through the asbestos-leaden floor levels, we came down onto a glassworks that had been constructed in 1788 and had been the first one to successfully trial in the early 1800s. It was the first one to successfully trial a Siemens gas regenerator. I think it's about the 1850s, so it wasn't in use for very long before it um, was demolished in the 1880s but they had 30 years of running a Siemens gas regenerator there and it cut their coal costs they were able to use lower grade coal um, so they saved an awful lot of money but in successfully trialing it they were um, because with glass you've got to be very careful the gases will taint the glass so to work on on a site that, that is actually an article in the engineer demonstrating how this gas regenerator worked and showing these the changes in technology so that was a yeah, literally a brownfield site right in the middle of birmingham um with lovely metal floor covered in asbestos and um really really delightful not but once we'd removed the the more recent deposits safely obviously you know we had proper asbestos trained people on site and then we um came down onto some really, really quite interesting archaeology. But prior to 1788, that had been a greenfield site. And it really told, it's one of these sites that really tells the story of modern Birmingham. Because mm. until until the late 18th century, there's nothing on the site. The canal goes in, the glassworks goes in next to the canal because it's very easy to transport materials to the site. The glassworks was very successful for a time. It falls out of use and then is repurposed. This site's very near the um, jewellery factory. So it's repurposed into a German silver factory. So they're making the nickel-plated silver. And again, that ran its course into the 1970s. And as industry and commerce have, have dropped away, some of the other factories on, on the main part of the site had stayed. But this has all now been demolished and turned into modern housing. So it really shows the way Birmingham has developed and evolved. And if you look at the rest of the history of Birmingham, glass was quite a big industry. The jewellery factory, you've got the whole jewellery quarter there. So you've got that whole development and it starts with the canals um, and then moves on through the railways. And of course, there's been a lot of work being done around in and around Birmingham with HS2 as well, which is sort of showing very similar broad patterns of the, that, that sort of story of hmm. Birmingham isn't very much. And then it, it has this massive industrial growth. And now it's becoming a real people-centred place um, with the, with all the new houses um, and hopefully all the new transport links for the people up there. And, you know, watching, was it the Commonwealth Games recently? Really fantastic sporting events. And, you know, they're putting putting a lot on and, and trying to make show that it's a very vibrant and modern city. Um, I'd never been there before I went to that site. I wouldn't rush back. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not going. I've got a... Uh, fetish for Birmingham but that was a site that was really mm. really very interesting um, and completely different from 90% of what I do which is greenfield yeah. sites digging up Bronze Age field boundary systems that have got nothing in them. 
So the uh, the Black Country Museum up there uh, yeah. kind of shows the yeah. the expanse of the yeah. Industrial Re Revolution yeah. In, yeah. around the Birmingham area, and it's yeah. a, it's a actually it's a fantastic museum yeah. to go and visit. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it, it goes way back. So yeah. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show. So, have you got any other little gems that you'd like to depart? Any other little nuggets? Anything you've got coming up that you can tell us about? That we do so much top secret work, it's really hard. <laughs> top secret. <laughs> I have had to sign the official secrets act for some sites. What for? Oh wait, uh, going inside the wire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. when we're working inside <laughs> military bases, obviously. Hmm. And say, Salisbury Plains, full of military bases yeah. um, and drop zones yeah. and oh, yes. impact areas. Yeah, so. but we have, you know, that when we've worked within the when we work within the bases, which we've done a lot. As Sam was talking about the rebasing program, they've also been upgrading a lot of the um, accommodation in in the army bases. So we've been working closely with them, and it's amazing how much archaeology still survives within those. And across Salisbury, there are whole schemes as for for working safely with the military. Um, and again, they're generally our clients, so they will they'll be the ones that are calling us in and be making us aware. So there was once many years ago. There's there's an apoc apocryphal rumor about a Dutch tank that came storming across and straight across an evaluation trench. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we do our best to avoid those sorts of incidents and you know obviously yeah. always working very carefully and closely with with the military and making sure that we're safe and that mm. the archaeology is protected fantastic well i'd just like to thank each and every one of you for for, for coming on tonight and and enlightening us i mean there's so much that that didn't know about archaeology and how much is actually involved in in looking at a one 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 piece of ground that, that somebody wants to dig up um, that goes into to um, looking at it. So, yeah, brilliant. And what you guys do is, is going around, particularly Sam and, and and the team there, going around demonstrating what you guys do to the general public in pop-up um, what's names is terrific um, I had the privilege of seeing you guys in action over in Portsmouth during the summer during August so that was great um, that's where we got to to meet you and uh, to get you onto the show so Absolutely. thanks for coming on we are actually you. back in Portsmouth Tim if I can do a shameless plug there um, from the 24th 24th to the 28th, we'll be back at Gunwolf Keys um, with hopefully some different things that we didn't get to see in the summer. Hopefully the ROV, the big ROV, will actually come out this time. If it's not on a job, I'm crossing absolutely everything here. Um, so hopefully some people get to see a bit more. Uh, even if they did come and see us in the summer, we'll hopefully have some different stuff just to keep everyone um, happy. So, yeah, please do come along and see us. We'd love to see you there. And while we're, at, while we're at shameless plug, sorry, Tim, I'm giving a lecture in Southampton on Tuesday night about um, an excavation I ran behind the Red Lion 
pub in the, in the centre of medieval Southampton. So that's on Tuesday night with Southampton Archaeology Society. It's on their page. So while we're doing shameless plugs, if anyone wants to learn something about medieval Southampton, come along and Fantastic. see me on Tuesday night at seven o'clock. Brilliant. I'll get that, that uh, put into the description if you can just... Larry, if you can just ping us the details of uh, yeah, of, uh, of of what you want plugging, we'll get it into the uh, when we drop the down to the the shorter versions. We'll put it in the descriptions. Amazing. So, thank you so much, guys. Um, we're going to drop each one of you down. And say a massive thank you. So, Ed, you're out the room. <laughs> Sam, you're out the room. Bye, Sam. <laughs> Rachel, thank you. You've been tremendous tonight. Thank you. Nice. Larry, could have done it with better. <laughs> ah, thank you so much yeah. for having us. Uh, no, you've been absolute delight and so informative. Really thank have. You. So can't thank you enough. And um, catch up with you soon. Yeah, hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Tim. Bye. I'll see you over in Portsmouth. So there you go. That's uh, that's my guest. That's the archaeological special. Let us know what you think about it. So until next week, um, thanks again. I'll confirm up as soon as I can about next week's and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it soon. Au revoir, take care, TTFN. Ta-ta for now. The Tim Heal Thirsty Thursday live stream from 7 until 9 weekly. Welcome to the Tim Heal podcast. If you have the time... You can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.